Angie has made it easier than ever to connect with skilled professionals to get all your jobs projects done well. If you own a home, you know how much work it can take, whether it's everyday maintenance and repairs or making dream projects a reality. It can be hard just to know where to start, but now all you need to do is Angie that and find a skilled local pro who will deliver the quality and expertise you need. Angie has over 20 years of home service experience, and they've combined it with new tools to simplify the whole process. Bring them your project online or with the Angie app, answer a few questions, and Angie can handle the rest from start to finish or help you compare quotes from multiple pros and connect instantly, which means you can take care of just about any home project in just a few taps. Because when it comes to getting the most out of your home, you can do this when you Angie that. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot com. Well, hey there, friend. Welcome back to the Bloody Leprechaun. I'm Drew Hoblood, your favorite Irish storyteller. And looky here. Wouldn't you know it? It's me favorite Irish alligator. Nice hat, you lickarse. Ah, curse of a horny monk on you. <laughs> Come on in, friend. Mmm. That's better. And before we begin our St. Patrick's Day episode, let me take this opportunity to address the Irish stereotypes that befoul my heritage. That we're short-tempered, quick to fight, stubborn as mules, drink like we've got hollow legs, and all have red hair. Mm. <sighs> well, I for one don't have red hair. So smoke them if you've got them and drink those glasses to the bottom. Cause all Drew blood has a tale to tell. But first. Oh, hey, I didn't see you there. You know, Drew Blood's Dark Tales is only one of the many shows on this network you could be listening to. We hope you'll subscribe to our entire lineup, including Chilling Tales for Dark Nights, Scary Stories Told in the Dark, Fear from the Heartland, and Horror Hill. All available on YouTube or your favorite podcast platform. Also, visit simplyscarypodcast.com to become a patron. For as little as $5 a month, you get our entire catalog ad-free and available to download or stream. A bargain. And now, back to the show. So tonight begins our new Stars of Season 1 initiative, in which we're bringing back the authors who were with us since the beginning. For starters, we've got Curtis M. Lawson. Drag them back kicking and screaming. And trust me, it's no fun getting kicked by Curtis Lawson. He's been taking karate classes, you understand. So, without further delay, from Season 1's episodes Devoured and Pinocchio in the Black Pantheon, Curtis M. Lawson returns with The Truth About Vampires. The purpose of these meetings is to determine if you're mentally fit to stand trial for the murder of Courtney Waugh. Do you understand? The suspect shifted his gaze rapidly from one part of Dr. Barnabas Vogel's office to another. His eyes never rested on any one detail for more than a second or two. In truth, 
The room was very plain, decorated only with diplomas, a freestanding coat rack holding a charcoal fedora and a matching overcoat, and a few personal keepsakes on the desk that took up its center. Despite the unremarkable nature of Dr. Vogel's office, the suspect seemed overwhelmed by it, as if he were a third-world farmer suddenly dropped off on the Vegas Strip. I... Um... Can you repeat the question? Do you understand why you're here? I, uh... I, I like your suit. <laughs> that whole look you have going on. His voice was weak and coarse, his tone almost hollow. What do you call that? Dr. Vogel smoothed out the lapel of his tweed sports coat thinking to himself that his fashion sense might be called academic-slash-jazz fusion. He kept his thought to himself, though. They weren't here to talk about him or his clothes. Please answer the question. Do you understand why you're here? Dr. Vogel asked, this time more slowly. Because... Um because my lawyer says I'm crazy, the suspect said, looking down at his own fidgeting, shackled hands. We're here to judge if you are fit to stand trial, mister. The doctor let his sentence trail off, hoping the suspect would fill in the blank, but it didn't look as if that was going to happen. At least not without some nudging. Still not ready to give us a name, huh? I don't have a name, the suspect said, looking at Dr. Vogel as if he were daft. They took my name. The suspect, who was identified in the paperwork only by his pretrial number, reached out for the nameplate on the doctor's desk with his shackled hands and mimed the snatching motion. Pluck, he said in a low deadpan. The syllable popped as he spoke hitting Dr. Vogel with a burst of foul breath. I see, the psychiatrist said, taking down a note on the legal pad in front of him. So you used to have a name, but someone stole it. Is that right? That's, um, that's one way to think of it. But it's deeper than that, you know? If someone steals something from you, you still have it in the past as if it was still yours at one point. But when they take something, it's like you never had it to begin with. No memory, no lingering value from that thing having touched your life. You're just left with, um, like a hole in the shape of what they took. You're like the wastebasket scraps left over from a paper doll. Dr. Vogel scribbled a note on his legal pad, then looked back up to study the suspect. The poor bastard was emaciated, barely more than a skeleton. His cheeks were sunken, and black bags hung under his eyes. Vogel wondered how the guy had managed to murder anyone, considering how sickly and weak he looked. Aside from the suspect's obvious poor health and his insanity, which Vogel had not yet concluded to be genuine or contrived. There was nothing remarkable about him. 
His ruddy brown eyes matched his short-cropped hair. He was clean-shaven and neither handsome nor ugly. No scars, tattoos, or other identifying marks marred his pale skin. He was a perfect everyman, gone wrong. The suspect was squinting and wincing. A look of pain radiated throughout his face. Doc, can you, um, close the blinds? Dr. Vogel turned and drew the blinds, leaving them to talk in the dim, filtered daylight. So who did this to you? Who took your name? Not just my name, Doc. They took everything. Can you be a bit more specific? Dr. Vogel asked. The suspect leaned forward in his chair, fidgeted wildly with his fingers, and let out a hollow laugh that echoed with insane despair rather than humor. <laughs> the sound made Dr. Barnabas Vogel's skin ripple with goosebumps. It's like I said, when they take something, it's like it was never there. So, no, I can't tell you the details of what I, um, had in my life. Best I can do is kind of feel around the ragged edges of the void in my soul and guess at what's missing. The suspect reached out and tapped the pewter edge of a picture frame that sat on Dr. Vogel's desk. From his position, the suspect could not see the picture inside the frame, just a black cardboard backing and stand, framed by scrolling metallic edges. That a uh, picture of your wife, Doc? Maybe your kids too? My wife and I? The doctor nodded and turned the photo around so the suspect could see the image within. He and his wife dancing at some jazz club in Chicago. He was always reluctant to give patients, especially criminal patients, any personal information. Pragmatism sometimes dictated that one must give something to get something. I think I had a family once. I don't remember them, though. No dates ring a bell in my mind as birthdays or anniversaries. There's no scent that reminds me of love or lust or brings longing to my heart. No faces for me to dream of and no spirits to mourn. But I can feel the agony of their absence. Like the phantom pain they say amputees get. Vogel tugged at his goatee and pondered this for a moment, his mind drifting to the neuroscience of such a thing, even though he knew the suspect's story to be a lie or a delusion. He imagined snippets of a person's consciousness suddenly missing, and the electrical signals in the brain hitting the brick wall of their absence. It was an interesting concept, and he was a man prone to contemplating such theoreticals. All right. Vogel said, having to stop himself from adding, I can dig it. And who did this to you? Was it the woman you killed? Courtney Waugh? Courtney Waugh was no mere woman. Angie has made it easier than ever to connect with skilled professionals to get all your jobs projects done well. If you own a home, you know how much work it can take, whether it's everyday maintenance and repairs or making dream projects a reality. It can be hard just to know where to start, 
But now, all you need to do is Angie that and find a skilled local pro who will deliver the quality and expertise you need. Angie has over 20 years of home service experience, and they've combined it with new tools to simplify the whole process. Bring them your project online or with the Angie app, answer a few questions, and Angie can handle the rest from start to finish or help you compare quotes from multiple pros and connect instantly, which means you can take care of just about any home project in just a few taps. Because when it comes to getting the most out of your home, you can do this when you Angie that. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot com. And I can't say if she's the one who took everything from me, the suspect replied, his eyes studying Vogel's numerous diplomas on the wall. She swore up and down that it wasn't. But it was someone like her anyway. Someone like her? What do you mean by that exactly? The suspect's gaze shifted over to Dr. Vogel, and their eyes locked. Once again, the nameless man looked at Vogel as if he were a dimwit rather than the holder of two doctorates. His expression seemed to say, try and keep up, Doc. A vampire. A vampire? The doctor asked, making sure that he had heard correctly. Like Count Dracula? God, I wish it were something like that. A cut and dried monster, sated by something as simple as blood. <laughs> the truth about vampires is far worse than all that. Dr. Vogel jotted down a few more lines on his pad hoping that this guy was the real deal and not some run-of-the-mill dirtbag looking for an insanity plea. If this nameless, unidentifiable murderer really turned out to believe he was hunting vampires, then treating him could make Vogel's career. There'd be book deals, news show interviews, maybe even a made-for-TV movie. And what is the truth about vampires? Dr. Vogel asked, placing his pen down on his pad. The suspect met Bogle's gaze, his distracted paranoia replaced by a disturbing intensity. Are you sure you want to know that, Dr. Barnabas Vogel? His finger tapped the doctor's nameplate like the bouncing ball in the children's music video as he spoke his name. The truth has a price. Vogel didn't like the way the suspect enunciated his name. It made him uneasy, but he did his best not to let it show. I do. Well, first off, like I said, they don't feed off blood. That's... Best I can figure, that's a... Um... A misunderstanding of symbolism mistranslated across time and cultures. What they really consume is anything of worth in a victim's life. Their health. Their loved ones. Their very identity. The things that really make up a life, you dig? The doctor wrote in his pad and urged the suspect to continue. And when they take those things from you, Doc, it's like they were never yours. 
It's like the vampire always had them instead of you. That woman you've been in love with for 20 years? She's been bedding the monster for two decades and you've never met her. The idiosyncrasies of your speech that you picked up from your old man turns a phrase that only you and he and maybe your granddad say. You've never heard or uttered them, but the vampire has. The years and years you've put into learning the piano never happened. And somewhere, some evil thing is playing satin doll while you stare dumbly at the ivories. The suspect hunched over and pressed his palms against his forehead. Deep, wavering breaths escaped his lungs. It's okay, Dr. Vogel said. Take your time. It took a minute or so for the suspect to regain his composure. When he sat up, he was wiping tears from his haggard face. The flush brought to him from crying actually gave some life to his complexion. The doctor handed him a tissue, which he took with a mumbled thanks. For all the terrible power they have, though, vampires do have weaknesses. There are rules, as in the folklore and the movies, but different. They don't sleep in coffins. And you can't keep them at bay with a cross or a clove of garlic. <laughs> but it's true that they can't hurt you unless you invite them in. Not like into your house, but into your mind and into your heart. The nameless man said, tapping his own forehead, then laying his hands over his chest. <sighs> but you don't care about the rules. You want to hear about the one I killed? That would be a good place to start, Vogel agreed. The suspect blew his nose into the tissue that the doctor had given him to wipe his tears. He sniffled and shifted in his chair, trying to get comfortable. The shackles around his ankles rattled like the chains of a restless ghost. I guess it all started on my last birthday. I was standing on a folding chair in the dingy pay-by-the-week room I rented at the Bishop Hotel, which wasn't a hotel at all, but a flop house for addicts and losers. I had just turned 40 years old, and I had nothing at all to show for my life, you know. No skills, no passions, no one to love. Tears were coming down his cheeks again as he told his story. He wiped them away with the snotty tissue balled up in one shackled hand. Air conditioners weren't allowed at the Bishop Hotel since the manager didn't trust the screw-ups living there not to drop one out of a window and kill someone. So the room had a ceiling fan. That's what I used to string myself up from with a sad makeshift noose I'd crafted from a piece of electrical cord. <sighs> I fitted the budget slipknot around my neck and looked down at the roaches and rats 
who'd come out of hiding to watch me die. <laughs> That's when I had, um, what do they call it? A moment of clarity. <laughs> As I looked down at the vermin around me and got ready to kick out the chair, I took a moment to reflect on my life and realized that I had no life. And I don't mean I'd fucked it up or threw it away. It wasn't as if I'd been orphaned or that my parents were dead or estranged. I simply never had parents. Which of course is impossible. Same with friends and lovers. It wasn't that I'd driven them away with my shit lifestyle or lack of personality. They had never been there. Ever. Who goes through life never making a friend? And it went beyond relationships. I had no talent, no interest, and no passions. I couldn't recall a single happy memory and the depressing history of my existence that I could remember was an incomplete thing. There were memories of loss, pain, and hardship, but they were unmoored by any context. There was no narrative to any of it, just hazy, painful vignettes. As I stood on that chair with a noose of electrical wire wrapped around my throat, I realized that my life wasn't a failure. It was a vacuum. It was a gaping emptiness in every important respect, and it didn't make any sense. So I took the noose off my neck and stepped down from the chair. I wasn't supposed to do that. I was supposed to hang myself. <laughs> Here's another truth about vampires. Despair is how they kill their victims. The ones they don't turn. Despair is so deep that you don't even try and remember what caused it. But I got lucky. He reached up with both shackled hands and played with his goatee as his watery green eyes darted toward the ceiling. Fat teardrops ran past his trembling frown. I'm sorry, he muttered. It's hard going down this road. You don't need to apologize to me, Dr. Vogel said. The suspect gave the doctor a sad smile then went back into his story. So, I spent a lot of time after that just trying to make some sense of my existence, or lack thereof. Walking cleared my head, so that's what I'd do all day, from dawn to dusk. For a while, I was pretty sure I was insane. But the more I wandered around the city, the more I saw that I wasn't alone. 
the same emptiness that gripped my soul was prevalent all around. That kind of thing is invisible to your average Joe. Most of us are so self-absorbed, but I had eyes to see. Maybe because I had no self to be absorbed in. Where others just saw junkies or bums or crazies, I saw that black void. I could tell what had happened to them. So, I started watching these people, then talking to them. They were sad, interchangeable husks, dead-eyed and hollow-voiced. None of them lasted more than a week after I'd spot them before sucking on a tailpipe or walking into traffic. Like I said, that's how the monsters kill. Vampires don't rip out your throat. They just point you to the gallows. The man with no name reached up for his throat and wrung his fingers in strange patterns as if he were throwing up gang signs. Coarse, ugly sobs issued from his mouth, followed by a torrent of tears. His crying was unabashed and free of shame. It was the kind of therapeutic crime that Dr. Vogel wished he himself was capable of. Perhaps we should take a break and meet again tomorrow, Dr. Vogel suggested. The suspect nodded and mumbled a thank you. Dr. Vogel sat at his desk looking over his notes from yesterday's interview with the self-proclaimed vampire hunter and murderer of Courtney Waugh. The case still excited him, both as a clinician and as a man eager to cash in on a good story, but part of him dreaded seeing the patient again. Criminals didn't get under his skin. Over the course of his career, he'd dealt with killers, rapists, and even child molesters. Some of the atrocities those animals had committed made the single torture and murder that this guy was accused of seem vanilla in comparison. Despite all this, the doctor considered faking a stomach bug so he wouldn't have to look into the man's eyes. It wouldn't have been a complete lie. His head was pounding and he felt run down, but he'd definitely worked through worse. What was it, he'd wondered, that bothered him so much about this guy? that he'd considered going homesick to avoid his gaze. Emptiness, he supposed. When the suspect had described that vacuum in his spirit, he wasn't being melodramatic. There was something missing there. Something conspicuous in its absence, and Vogel could make out the ragged outline of that void, just as it had been described. There was a knock at his office door, even though it was open and the suspect stood in the threshold, shackled at the hands and feet, decked out in an orange jumpsuit and escorted by a grim-faced corrections officer. There was some color to his face and his features weren't quite as sunken. A good night's sleep seemed to have gone a long way for him. Seeing this change made Vogel feel a bit more at ease. He looked more human and less like a walking corpse. Good afternoon. 
the doctor said as his patient sat down and the corrections officer connected his leg shackles to the wooden chair. Once the suspect was secured, Dr. Vogel dismissed the guard, who seemed happy to leave. Dr. Vogel, the suspect said, tapping on the doctor's nameplate as he spoke, just as he had done the day before. You look better today than yesterday, Dr. Vogel offered. The suspect smiled. There was almost genuine happiness on his face, which was a huge difference from the last time they met. They let me talk to my wife last night. It was just a few minutes, but her voice, man, it's music. You know what I mean? Dr. Vogel offered a curt smile, but didn't respond. The fact was, he didn't know. He had been something of a romantic failure and had been alone for the better part of a decade. That wasn't something he was about to get into with a potentially insane murderer, though. Plus, she had some Duke Ellington playing in the background. You and Ellington Van Doc. Vogel was feeling angry with the man before him, and he wasn't sure why. Generally speaking, he was a man of patient temperament, but these simple innocuous questions were getting under his skin. Perhaps, he considered, it was his headache making him grumpy. Yesterday, you were going to tell me about Courtney Waugh and why you killed her. Do you think we can get back into that? Yeah. Oh. Yeah, that's why we're here, right? Indeed. Dr. Vogel took hold of his pen in one hand, his pad in the other, then leaned back in his chair. So, I told you how I, uh, I could spot people like me. Poor bastards who'd had everything good cut out of their being by some evil creature. It's like I told you. Most of them off themselves within a week of popping up on my radar. But a few of them didn't. The ones that didn't take a bath with a toaster. They still walked around with that emptiness inside. But outwardly things started getting better for them. The darkness of the void in their souls was so intense, I could physically see it radiating out, eating the light around them. But I guess I was the only one who noticed. One day you had a forgotten geriatric living under a bridge. The next, they're a lawyer or a rock star or a trust fund playboy. And no one ever noticed the change. Except for me, that is. I could ferret them out because that void from what had been taken from them had become a vacuous singularity that only I could see. A black hole that could never be filled. You see, the truth about vampires is, no matter how good they have it, they are never sated for long. There's nothing that can undo that original loss. No stolen thing quite the right shape to fill in that blank. So they feed and feed and feed, taking bits of anyone who will let them in until they eat them all up. You said that once a vampire took something from a person, it's as if they never had it, and the vampire always had, 
Dr. Vogel commented, tapping his pen against his pad. But you could remember that this person who, let's say, is a rock star today was a vagrant yesterday? Yes and no, the suspect answered. It's, uh, it's more feeling than memory, you know? Like the aftermath of a hazy dream or some cousin to deja vu. But beyond that, I can see in them that same yawning blackness within my own heart, but grown out of all proportion. And that's what I saw in Courtney Waugh. Tell me about that, Dr. Vogel urged. How you met her, the course of events that led to her death. She was the, uh, the common thread, you know. There was this old lady named Mary who I knew was a victim, just like me. I guess her name wasn't worth taking, so she got to keep it, but nothing else. Anyway, she lived under an overpass just outside of the city, and Courtney Waugh would drop her a dollar every day and spend a few minutes chatting with her. The same with some of the junkies outside of the methadone clinic. She'd come by with coffee and talk to the same two addicts every Thursday. Then there was the pigeon man at the park. Guy was a mute. Just sat there making cooing sounds at the birds and feeding them scraps he'd dig out of the trash. Courtney would show up with a loaf of bread for him to share with the birds. And she just talked to him, even though he never said a word back. That doesn't sound like the work of a vampire to me, Dr. Vogel commented. Ah, but it is. You see, in the movies and the books, they use their fangs to drain their victims. But the truth about vampires is, they suck you dry by talking. Words are like magic to them. They tell you secrets and speak sorrows, and in exchange, they take the good things from you. That's how it works, and that's what Courtney Waugh was doing. So I followed her. I watched her. She became the reason I got out of bed in the morning, and the reason I didn't open my wrists. I know how that sounds like I had some pervert obsession over her. But it wasn't like that. Courtney was the key to getting back some semblance of what had been taken from me. I knew I couldn't get my life back, but I could get a life back. Someone else's. Finally, after months of stalking her, I broke into Courtney's home, and you wouldn't believe this place. Million-dollar artwork on every wall. A cellar full of fine wine. Hot tub on the roof. I can't imagine all this came from just one victim. It was like a hodgepodge of luxuries ripped from countless lives. She must have been doing this to people for a long time, you know. Maybe centuries. 
Vogel was having a hard time focusing on the other man's words, and he found that his headache was being exacerbated by the sunlight streaming in from the window. He squinted and winced. Barnabas, can you, um, close the blinds? Of course, Barnabas smiled, and for the first time his expression reflected genuine happiness. He turned and drew the blinds, leaving them to talk in the dim, filtered sunlight. So, like I was saying, I broke into her house and I waited. And for all the power vampires have, all those folklore stories about heightened senses and invulnerabilities are bullshit. She never saw me coming, and it didn't take a silver knife to cut her, or a cross to burn her. Why, um, why did you want to hurt her? Barnabas sat back in his chair and fiddled with his cufflinks, casting a pitying look at the man across from him. Because I needed the truth, Doc. Uh, Doc? I needed the truth about vampires. The secrets of how they consume all the good things in someone's life and make them their own. The way they twist reality so it's like things have always been that way. And she told me too. Each little phrase to utter and what magic gestures to make with your hands. <laughs> she taught me what truths to pass on and trade for those beautiful things in a person's life. Because there's a cost to the truth, you see. But I had already paid it, so she had nothing to take from me. But you... You had a lot to lose, you dig. Can you... Um, can you repeat the question? Dr. Barnabas Vogel stroked his goatee and looked at the picture on his desk. A photo of him and his wife dancing at a jazz club in Chicago. He missed her, and he couldn't wait for the day to be over so that he might take her dancing, then make love through the night. I said... The purpose of these meetings is to determine if you are mentally fit to stand trial for the murder of Courtney Waugh. Do you understand? The nameless man shackled to the chair across from Dr. Barnabas Vogel's desk did not understand, though. He didn't know where he was or even who he was. He didn't know what was going on, and he didn't care. There was an emptiness in him, a black void whose ragged outline he could almost feel, and nothing else mattered but finding a way to end that pain. And that was The Truth About Vampires by Curtis M. Lawson. Makes you wonder whose body you'd jump into if you could, doesn't it? I'm pretty sure this is what Dick Clark did to Ryan Seacrest. 
I wouldn't mind popping into Seacrest for a night myself. Say hello to Aubrey, you know. A little about the author. Over the past decade, Curtis M. Lawson has emerged as a dynamic and vibrant voice in contemporary weird fiction. Gifted with a prose style of admirable fluency and evocativeness, he reveals a broad range in subject matter, extending from tales of science fiction to stories of psychological terror. The Envious Nothing, Lawson's latest collection, is overbrimming with tragedy and existential terror, alongside hope and the nascence of dark potential. Stories such as You and I and The Envious Nothing and A Grave at the End of the World explore cosmic horror in its most quintessential sense. Controversially, Everything Smells Like Smoke Again and The Green Man of Freetown display horror in the most intimate of relationships. It also includes an unpublished novella, Beneath the Emerald Sky, set in Iceland and summoning up hideous vistas of strangeness from myth and legend. The Envious Nothing is available on Amazon or at hippocampuspress.com. Grab a copy, folks. Or may the devil take your last shilling. And do old Drew Blood a favor, would you? Subscribe to his podcast wherever you do your listening and leave him a five-star review and a kind word, even if you're listening on YouTube. He needs soldiers on all fronts to win this battle, and he appreciates it. To hear a premium ad-free edition of tonight's and all the other episodes, visit simplyscarypodcast.com today and click Patrons in the upper menu. You'll find yourself at ChillinTalesForDarkNights.com, where you can become a patron for as little as $5 per month and get access to their entire audio archive, all ad-free and available to download or stream. Thank you for your time and for supporting our sponsors. When you support our sponsors, you support this show. If you happen to use Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, or YouTube, you can follow and subscribe to Chillin' Tales for Dark Nights there where you'll get all the latest updates and new releases and have the chance to interact with them each and every week. Oh, and you can find Drew Blood on Facebook and Instagram, and sometimes Twitter. The Drew Blood's Dark Tales podcast is accepting submissions, friend. If you've got a story or two you'd like to be featured on the show, send it to drewbloodhorror at gmail.com. If selected, you'll get the full treatment, 10 Bananas. Well, I'm afraid this is where we part ways, at least till next week. So grab a drink for the road, friend. Ain't no one pulling you over tonight. The cops are all shit-faced. This week's episode is dedicated to the lovely, lovely Ree. Ree, I can't believe I hadn't shouted you out yet. I'm so sorry about that, though I could have sworn I did. You should have seen me going back and listening to every single damn episode just to see if I had missed you, and I did. So hopefully this makes up for my gaffe. Have a great St. Paddy's Day and be safe out there, Ree. And thanks for always being there and listening. I really appreciate you. So to Ree and all of the other listeners, may your coffee be strong and your Mondays be short. May the Lord take a liking to you. But not too soon, of course. And like St. Patrick himself once wrote in his letter to the soldiers of Caradicus, Grow fuck yourselves. <laughs> Good night, y'all.
Angie has made it easier than ever to connect with skilled professionals to get all your jobs projects done well. If you own a home, you know how much work it can take, whether it's everyday maintenance and repairs or making dream projects a reality. It can be hard just to know where to start, but now all you need to do is Angie that and find a skilled local pro who will deliver the quality and expertise you need. Angie has over 20 years of home service experience, and they've combined it with new tools to simplify the whole process. Bring them your project online or with the Angie app, answer a few questions, and Angie can handle the rest from start to finish or help you compare quotes from multiple pros and connect instantly, which means you can take care of just about any home project in just a few taps. Because when it comes to getting the most out of your home, you can do this when you Angie that. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot com.